0: Section 27 of the Columbia Accident Investigation Board final report volume 1 This is a LibriVox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org The Columbia Accident Investigation Board final report volume 1 by the Columbia Accident Investigation Board Chapter 6G Decision-Making at NASA, Part 7. Missed Opportunity 7 Conte explained to Rocha that the Mission Operations Directorate at Johnson did have U.S. Air Force standard services for imaging the shuttle during solid rocket booster separation and external tank separation. Conte explained that the orbiter would probably have to fly over Hawaii to be imaged. The Board notes that this statement illustrates an unfamiliarity with national imaging assets. Hawaii is only one of many sites where relevant assets are based. Conti asked Rocha if he wanted her to pursue such a request through Missions Operations Directorate Channels. Rocha said no because he believed program managers would still have to support such a request. Since they had already decided that imaging of potentially damaged areas was not necessary, Rocha thought it unlikely that the debris assessment team could convince them otherwise without definitive data. Later that day, Conti and another Mission Operations Directorate representative were attending an unrelated meeting with Leroy Kane, the STS-107 Ascent Entry Flight Director, at that meeting they conveyed Rocha's concern to Kane and offered to help with obtaining imaging. After checking with Phil Engelof, Kane distributed the following email: "Original Message" from Kane, Leroy E, sent Thursday january twenty third two thousand three, twelve o seven p m to Jones, Richard s, Oliver, Gregory t, Conti, Barbara a. Copy to Engloff, Philip L., Austin, Brian P., Beck, Kelly B., Hanley, Jeffrey M., Stitch, J.S. Subject, Help with Debris Hit The Space Shuttle Program was asked directly if they had any interest or desire in requesting resources outside of NASA to view the orbiter. Reference, the Wing Leading Edge Debris Concern. They said no. After talking to Phil, I consider it to be a dead issue. Also on Flight Day 8, Debris Assessment Team engineers presented their final debris trajectory estimates to their NASA, United Space Alliance, and Boeing managers. These estimates formed the basis for predicting the orbiter's damaged areas, as well as the extent of damage, which in turn determined the ultimate threat to the orbiter during reentry. Mission Control personnel thought they should tell Commander Rick Husband and Pilot William McCool about the debris strike, not because they thought that it was worthy of the crew's attention, but because the crew might be asked about it in an upcoming media interview. Flight Director Steve Stitch sent the following email to Husband and McCool and copied other flight directors. Original message from Stitch J.S. sent Thursday, January 23, 2003, 11, 13 p.m. 2. Commander and Pilot Copy to Beck, Kelly B., Engloff, Philip L., Kane, Leroy E., Hanley, Jeffrey M., Austin, Brian P. Subject, Info, Possible Public Affairs Officer Event Question Rick and Willie You guys are doing a fantastic job staying on the timeline and accomplishing great science. Keep up the good work and let us know if there is anything that we can do better from a Mission Control Center, Payload Operations Control Center standpoint. There is one item I would like to make you aware of for the upcoming Public Affairs Officer event on Blue Flight Day 10 and for future Public Affairs Officer events later in the mission. This item is not even worth mentioning other than wanting to make sure that you are not surprised by it in a question from a reporter. During ascent, at approximately 80 seconds, photo analysis shows that some debris from the area of the left external tank bipod attach point came loose and subsequently impacted the orbiter left wing in the area of transition from chine to main wing, creating a shower of smaller particles, The impact appears to be totally on the lower surface, and no particles were seen to traverse over the upper surface of the wing. Experts have reviewed the high-speed photography, and there is no concern for reinforced carbon-carbon or tile damage. We have seen this same phenomenon on several other flights, and there is absolutely no concern for entry. That is all for now. It's a pleasure working with you every day. This email was followed by another to the crew, with an attachment of the video showing the debris impact. Husband acknowledged receipt of these messages. Later, a NASA liaison to US STRATCOM sent an email thanking personnel for the prompt response to the imagery request. The email asked that they help NASA observe official channels for this type of support in the future. Excerpts from this message follow let me assure you that as of yesterday afternoon the shuttle was in excellent shape mission objectives were being performed and that there were no major debris system problems identified the request that you received was based on a piece of debris most likely ice or insulation from the external tank that came off shortly after launch and hit the underside of the vehicle even though this is not a common occurrence it is something that has happened before and is not considered to be a major problem. The one problem that this has identified is the need for some additional coordination within NASA to assure that when a request is made it is done through official channels. The NASA U.S. Strat U.S. Space Memorandum of Agreement identifies the need for this type of support and that it will be provided by U.S. Strat. Procedures have been long established that identifies the Flight Dynamics Officer for the Shuttle and the Trajectory Operations Officer for the International Space Station as the points of contact to work these issues with the personnel in Cheyenne Mountain. One of the primary purposes for this chain is to make sure that requests like this one does not slip through the system and spin the community up about potential problems that have not been fully vetted through the proper channels, Two things that you can help us with is to make sure that future requests of this sort are confirmed through the proper channels. For the Shuttle, it is via Cheyenne Mountain Operations Center to the Flight Dynamics Officer. For the International Space Station, it is via Cheyenne Mountain Operations Center to the Trajectory Operations Officer. The second request is that no resources are spent unless this request has been confirmed. These requests are not meant to diminish the responsibilities of the Department of Defense Manned Space Flight Support Office or to change any previous agreements, but to eliminate the confusion that can be caused by a lack of proper coordination. Third Debris Assessment Team Meeting The Debris Assessment Team met for the third time Thursday afternoon to review updated impact analyses Engineers noted that there were no alternate re-entry trajectories that the orbiter could fly to substantially reduce heating in the general area of the foam strike. Engineers also presented final debris trajectory data that included three debris size estimates to cover the continuing uncertainty about the size of the debris. Team members were told that imaging would not be forthcoming in the face of this denial the team discussed whether to include a presentation slide supporting their desire for images of the potentially damaged area many still felt it was a valid request and wanted their concerns aired at the upcoming mission evaluation room brief and then at the mission management team level eventually the idea of including a presentation slide about the imaging request was dropped just prior to attending the third assessment meeting, tile expert Calvin Schomburg and Rodney Rocha met to discuss foam impacts from other missions. Schomburg implied that the STS-107 foam impact was in the orbiter's experience base and represented only a maintenance issue. Rocha disagreed and argued about the potential for burn-through on reentry. Calvin Schomburg stated a belief that if there was severe damage to the tiles, nothing could be done. See Section 6.4. Both then joined the meeting already in progress. According to Boeing analysts, who were members of the debris assessment team, Schomburg called to ask about their rationale for pursuing imagery. The Boeing analysts told him that something the size of a large cooler had hit the orbiter at 500 miles per hour, Pressed for additional reasons, and not fully understanding why their original justification was insufficient, the analysts said that at least they would know what happened if something were to go terribly wrong. The Boeing analysts next asked why they were working so hard analyzing potential damage areas if the shuttle program management believed the damage was minor and that no safety of flight issues existed. Schomburg replied that the analysts were new and they would learn from this exercise. Flight Day 9, Friday, January 24, 2003 At 7 a.m., Boeing and United Space Alliance contract personnel presented the debris assessment team's findings to Don McCormick, the mission evaluation room manager, In yet another signal that the working engineers and mission personnel shared a high level of concern for Columbia's condition, so many engineers crowded this briefing room that it was standing room only with people lining the hallway. The presentation included view graphs that discussed the team's analytical methodology and five scenarios for debris damage, each based on different estimates of the debris size and impact point. A sixth scenario had not yet been completed, but early indications suggested that it would not differ significantly from the other five. Each case was presented with a general overview of transport mechanics, results from the crater modeling, aerothermal considerations, and predicted thermal and structural effects for Columbia's reentry. The briefing focused primarily on potential damage to the tiles, not the reinforced carbon-carbon panels. An analysis of how the poor construction of these view graphs effectively minimized key assumptions and uncertainties is presented in chapter 7. While the team members were confident that they had conducted the analysis properly within the limitations of the information they had, they stressed that many uncertainties remained. First, there was great uncertainty about where the debris had struck. Second, crater, the analytical tool they used to predict the penetration depth of the debris impact, was being used on a piece of debris that was 400 times larger than the standard in Boeing's database. At the time, the team believed that the debris was 640 times larger. Engineers ultimately concluded that their analysis, limited as it was, did not show that a safety of flight issue existed. Engineers who attended this briefing indicated a belief that management focused on the answer—that analysis proved there was no safety of flight issue—rather than on concerns about the large uncertainties that may have undermined the analysis that provided that answer. At the mission management team's 8 a.m. meeting, mission evaluation room manager Don McCormick verbally summarized the debris assessment team's 7 a.m. brief. It was the third topic discussed. Unlike the earlier briefing, McCormick's presentation did not include the debris assessment team's presentation charts. The Board notes that no supporting analysis or examination of minority engineering views was asked for or offered, that neither mission evaluation room nor mission management team members requested a technical paper of the debris assessment team's analysis and that no technical questions were asked. January 24, 2003, Mission Management Team Meeting Transcript The following is a transcript of McCormick's verbal briefing to the Mission Management Team, which Linda Hamm chaired. Early in the meeting, Phil Engeloff, Chief of the Flight Director's Office, reported that he had made clear, in an email to Columbia's crew, that there were no concerns that the debris strike had caused serious damage. The board notes that this conclusion about whether the debris strike posed a safety of flight issue was presented to the mission management team members before they discussed the debris strike damage assessment. Engelauf, I will say that crew did send down a note last night asking if anybody is talking about extension days or going to go with that. And we sent up to the crew about a fifteen second video clip of the strike, just so they are armed if they get any questions at the press conferences or that sort of thing. But we made it very clear to them, no, no concerns. Linda Ham, when is the press conference? Is it today? Engloff, it's later today. Ham, they may get asked because the press is aware of it. Engloff, The press is aware of it, I know. Folks have asked me, because the press corps at the Cape have been asking. Wanted to make sure they were properly... Ham. Okay, back on the temperature. The meeting went on for another twenty-five minutes. Other mission-related subjects were discussed, before team members returned to the debris strike. Ham. Go ahead, Don. Don McCormick. Okay. Also, we've received the data from the system's integration guys of the potential ranges of sizes and impact angles and where it might have hit. And the guys have gone off and done an analysis. They use a tool they refer to as Crater, which is their official evaluation tool to determine the potential size of the damage. So they went off and done all that work, and they've done thermal analysis to the areas where there may be damaged tiles, The analysis is not complete. There is one case yet that they wish to run, but kind of just jumping to the conclusion of all that, they do show that, obviously, a potential for significant tile damage is here, but thermal analysis does not indicate that there is potential for a burn-through. I mean, there could be localized heating damage. There is, obviously there is, a lot of uncertainty in all this, in terms of the size of the debris and where it hit and the angle of incidence. HAM. No burn-through means no catastrophic damage, and the localized heating damage would mean a tile replacement. McCormick. Right, it would mean possible impacts to turnaround repair times and that sort of thing, but we do not see any kind of of safety-of-flight issue here yet in anything that we've looked at. HAM. And no safety-of-flight, no issue, for this mission. Nothing that we're going to do different. There may be a turnaround. McCormick. Right. It could potentially hit the reinforced carbon-carbon, and we don't indicate any other possible coating damage or something. We don't see any issue if it hit the RCC, although we could have some significant tile damage if we don't see a safety of flight issue. Ham. What do you mean by that? McCormick. Well, it could be down through the—we could lose an entire tile— and then the ramp into and out of that i mean it could be a significant area of tile damage down to the sip perhaps so it could be a significant piece missing but note sip refers to the denser lower layers of tile to which the debris may have penetrated end note ham it would be a turnaround issue only mccormick right unintelligible speaker at this point, tile expert Calvin Schomberg states his belief that no safety of flight issue exists. However, some participants listening via teleconference to the meeting are unable to hear his comments. HAM. Okay, same thing you told me about the other day in my office. We've seen pieces of this size before, haven't we? UNKNOWN SPEAKER. Hey, Linda, we're missing part of that conversation. HAM. Right. Unknown Speaker. Linda, we can't hear the speaker. Ham. He was just reiterating with Calvin that he doesn't believe there is any burn-through, so no safety of flight kind of issue. It's more of a turnaround issue, similar to what we've had on other flights. That's it? All right. Any questions on that? The Board notes that when the official minutes of the January 24th Mission Management Team were produced and distributed, there was no mention of the debris strike, these minutes were approved and signed by Frank Moreno, STS-107 Lead Payload Integration Manager, and Linda Ham. For anyone not present at the January 24th Mission Management Team, who was relying on these minutes to update them on key issues, they would have read nothing about the debris strike discussions between Don McCormick and Linda Ham. A subsequent 8:59 a.m. mission evaluation room console log entry follows. Mission management team summary. McCormick also summarized the debris assessment. Bottom line is that there appears to be no safety of flight issue, but good chance of turnaround impact to repair tile damage. Flight day 10 through 16, Saturday through Friday, January 25th through 31st, 2003. Although no safety-of-flight issue had officially been noted in the Mission Evaluation Room log, the Debris Assessment Team was still working on parts of its analysis of potential damage to the wing and main landing gear door. On Sunday, January 26, Rodney Rocha spoke with a Boeing Thermal Analyst and a Boeing Stress Analyst by telephone to express his concern about the Debris Assessment Team's overall analysis, as well as the remaining work on the main landing gear door analysis. After the Boeing engineers stated their confidence with the analyses, Rocha became more comfortable with the damage assessment and sent the following email to his management. Original message from Rocha Allen R. Sent Sunday, January 26, 2003, 7.45 p.m. To Shack, Paul E. McCormick Donald L., Oyet, Fred A. Copy to Rogers, Joseph E. Galbreth, Gregory F. Jacobs, Jeremy B. Seriali Grosh Joyce M. Kramer, Julie A. Curry, Donald M. Kowal, T.J. Rickman, Stephen L. Schomberg Calvin. Campbell, Carlisle C., Jr. Subject, STS-107 Wing Debris Impact on Ascent. Final analysis case completed as you recall from friday's briefing to the mission evaluation room there remained open work to assess analytically predicted impact damage to the wing underside in the region of the main landing gear door this area was considered a low probability hit area by the image analysis teams but they admitted a debris strike here could not be ruled out as with the other analyses performed and reported on friday This assessment by the Boeing Multi-Technical Discipline Engineering Teams also employed the system integration's dispersed trajectories, followed by serial results from the crater damage prediction tool, thermal analysis, and stress analysis. It was reviewed and accepted by Structural Engineering Division Shuttle Chief Engineer R. Rocha by Sunday morning, January 26th. The case is defined by a large area gouge, about 7 inch wide and about 30 inch long, with sloped sides like a crater, and reaching down to the densified layer of the thermal protection system. Summary Though this case predicted some higher temperatures at the outer layer of the honeycomb aluminum face sheet, and subsequent debonding of the sheet, there is no predicted burn-through of the door, no breaching of the thermal and gas seals nor is there door structural deformation or thermal warpage to open the seal to hot plasma intrusion though degradation of the thermal protection system and door structure is likely if impact occurred here there is no safety of flight entry descent landing issue note to don m and fred o on Friday, I believe, the mission evaluation room was thoroughly briefed, and it was clear that open work remained, namely the case summarized above. The message of open work was not clearly given, in my opinion, to Linda Ham at the mission management team. I believe we left her the impression that engineering assessments and cases were all finished, and that we could state with finality no safety of flight issues or questions remaining. This very serious case could not be ruled out, and it was a very good thing we carried it through to a finish. Rodney Rocha, Division Shuttle Chief Engineer, ES Structural Engineering Division, Chair, Space Shuttle Loads and Dynamics Panel. In response to this email, Don McCormick told Rocha that he would make sure to correct Linda Hamm's possible misconception, that the debris assessment team's analysis had been finished as of the briefing to the mission management team. McCormick informed Ham at the next mission management team meeting on January twenty seventh that the damage assessment had in fact been ongoing and that their final conclusion was that no safety of flight issue existed. The debris strike, in the official estimation of the debris assessment team, amounted to only a post-landing turnaround maintenance issue. On Monday morning, January 27th, Doug Drury, a structural engineering manager from Johnson Space Center, summoned several Johnson engineers and Rocha to his office, and asked them if they all agreed with the completed analyses, and with the conclusion that no safety of flight issues existed. Although all participants agreed with that conclusion, They also knew that the Debris Assessment Team members and most structural engineers at Johnson still wanted images of Columbia's left wing, but had given up trying to make that desire fit the mandatory requirement that Shuttle Management had set. Langley Research Center Although the Debris Analysis Team had completed its analysis and rendered a no-safety-of-flight verdict, Concern persisted among engineers elsewhere at NASA as they learned about the debris strike and potential damage. On Monday, January 27th, Carlisle Campbell, the design engineer responsible for landing gear, tires, and brakes at Johnson Space Center, forwarded Rodney Roach's January 26th email to Bob Doherty, an engineer at Langley Research Center who specialized in landing gear design, Engineers at Langley and Ames Research Center and Johnson Space Center did not entertain the possibility of Columbia breaking up during re-entry, but rather focused on the idea that the landing might not be safe, that the crew might need to ditch the vehicle, crash-land in water, or be prepared to land with a damaged landing gear. Campbell initially contacted Doherty to ask his opinion of the arguments used to declare the debris strike not a safety-of-flight issue. Campbell commented that someone had brought up worst-case scenarios in which a breach in the main landing gear door causes two tires to go flat. To help Doherty understand the problem, Campbell forwarded him emails, briefing slides, and film clips from the debris damage analysis. Both engineers felt that the potential ramifications of landing with two flat tires had not been sufficiently explored. They discussed using shuttle simulator facilities at Ames Research Center to simulate a landing with two flat tires, but initially ruled it out because there was no formal request from the mission management team to work on the problem. Because astronauts were training in the Ames simulation facility, The two engineers looked into conducting their simulations after-hours. Doherty contacted his management on Tuesday, January 28th, to update them on the plan for an after-hours simulation. He reviewed previous data runs, current simulation results, and prepared scenarios that could result from main landing gear problems. The simulated landings with two flat tires that Doherty eventually conducted indicated that it was a survivable but very serious malfunction. Of the various scenarios he prepared, Doherty shared the most unfavorable only with his management and selected Johnson Space Center engineers. In contrast, his favorable simulation results were forwarded to a wider Johnson audience for review, including Rodney Rocha and other debris assessment team members. The board is disappointed, that Doherty's favorable scenarios received a wider distribution than his discovery of a potentially serious malfunction, and also does not approve of the reticence that he and his managers displayed in not notifying the mission management team of their concerns or his assumption that they could not displace astronauts who were training in the Ames simulator. At 4.36 p.m. on Monday, January 27th, doherty sent the following to campbell original message from robert h doherty sent monday january twenty seventh two thousand three three thirty five p.m to campbell carlisle c subject video you sent wow i bet there are a few pucker strings pulled tight around there thinking about a belly landing versus bailout I would say that if there is a question about main gear well burn-through, that it's crazy to even hit the deploy gear button, the reason being that you might have failed the wheels since they are aluminum. They will fail before the tire heating pressure makes them fail, and you will send debris all over the wheel well, making it a possibility that the gear would not even deploy due to ancillary damage. Three hundred feet is the wrong altitude to find out you have one gear down and the other not down, you're dead in that case. Think about the pitch-down moment for a belly landing, when hitting not the main gear but the trailing edge of the wing or body flap, when landing gear is up. Even if you come in fast, and at slightly less pitch altitude, the nose slap-down with that pitching-moment arm seems to me to be pretty scary, so much so that I would bail out before I would let a loved one land like that. My two cents. See you, Bob. The following reply, from Campbell to Doherty, was sent at 4.49 p.m. Original message, from Campbell, Carlisle C., Jr., to Bob Doherty, subject, forward, the video you sent. Date, Monday, 27th January, 2003. Fifteen fifty nine fifty three, ex mailer B Internet mail service. Thanks. That's why they need to get all the facts in early on, such as look at the impact damage from the spy telescope. Even then, we may not know the real effect of the damage. The Langley Research Center ditching model tests twenty some years ago showed that the orbiter was the best ditching shape that they had ever tested of many. But our structures people have said that if we ditch, we would blow such big holes in the lower panels that the orbiter might break up. Anyway, they refuse to even consider water ditching any more. I still have the test results. Bail out seems best." On the next day, Tuesday, Doherty sent the following to Campbell: "Original message" from Robert H. Doherty, sent Tuesday, January twenty eighth, two thousand three, twelve thirty nine p.m. To Campbell, Carlisle C., Jr., Subject, Tile Damage Any more activity today on the tile damage, or are people just relegated to crossing their fingers and hoping for the best? See ya, Bob. Campbell's Reply From Campbell, Carlisle C., Jr., To Robert H. Doherty, Subject, Re-Tile Damage Date, Tuesday, 28 January 2003 Thirteen twenty-nine fifty-eight. Xmailer ex-mailer, Internet Mail Service. I have not heard anything new. I'll let you know if I do. CCC. Carlisle Campbell sent the following email to Johnson Space Center Engineering Managers on January 31st. In order to alleviate concerns regarding the worst-case scenario which could potentially be caused by the debris impact under the orbiter's left wing during launch, E.g., Aeroscience and Flight Mechanics Division conducted some landing simulations on the Ames Vertical Motion Simulator, which tested the ability of the crew and vehicle to survive a condition where two main-gear tires are deflated before landing. The results, although limited, showed that this condition is controllable, including the nose slapdown rates. These results may give Mission Operations Directorate a different decision path, should this scenario become a reality. Previous opinions were that bailout was the only answer. In the Mission Evaluation Room, a safety representative from Science Applications International Corporation, (SAIC), NASA's contract safety company, made a log entry at the Safety and Quality Assurance Console, on January 28th, at 12.15 p.m. It was only the second mention of the debris strike in the safety console log during the mission. The first was also minor. Mission Control Center, SAIC, called asking if any safety, reliability, and quality assurance people were involved in the decision to say that the ascent debris hit left wing is safe. SAIC engineer has indeed been involved in the analysis, and stated that he concurs with the analysis. Details about the debris hit are found in the Flight Day 12 Mission Evaluation Room Manager and our daily report. End of Section 27 Recording by Maria Casper.